Hi there, everyone. It's Adam Leventhal. Welcome to the Athletics Premier League preview show. Football is back and over the course of this episode, we'll tell you everything you need to know and what's left to play for as well as the Premier League reaches its belated climax. I'm joined on the show by a panel of the Athletics elite football writers. Uh, let's say hello, first of all, to our very own uh, Zonal Marking podcast man, a.k.a. Michael Cox. Michael, how are you? And just uh, just give us an insight into your, your latest workings for people to tuck into alongside this podcast. Uh, very well. Thank you, Adam, especially as I'm apparently part of the elite football writers. Or yeah, you're just you're saying in. that we're all elite football writers. Either way, <laughs> very pleased about that. Um, I've been working on a thing about Manchester United and basically having a look at why they've got such a strange record this season, so good against uh, the big sides and often really, you know, quite limited against the uh, the bottom half teams. And looking at the formation and they've played three at the back very well against Liverpool and Chelsea and Manchester City. So maybe wondering if they could do that against, uh, you know, the sides they've struggled against, the likes of Burnley and Crystal Palace. And uh, yeah, looking at Manchester United. So that's been uh, that's been fun. I'm looking forward to their game against Tottenham on what, Friday night? And on that note, let's just bring in our next panel member, our next elite writer, and that is Jack Pitt-Brook. Obviously, Manchester United are going to be up against Tottenham Hotspur on Friday night. And we touched upon that, didn't we, Jack, uh, on the, the dedicated preview podcast that we did um, in hosting the, the View from the Lane. Just to give us an insight into how sort of Tottenham as a whole is feeling heading into to restart. Well, I feel like the club and me included are pivoting towards optimism at the moment things were pretty miserable back in March when football came to a stop Spurs were going nowhere in the league they got knocked out the FA Cup and the Champions League but I, Mourinho now you know three months on he's got his players back he's feeling optimistic uh, I think the players are feeling optimistic that they can put the wins together to, to get into the Champions League places so I just published a piece on this earlier on The Athletic. I feel like the mood has changed. And, you know, it could all change again if they lose on Friday night. But for now, I think Spurs are going in with a, going in with a little bit more confidence than you might have expected. And completing our cast on this podcast as we look ahead to the, the Premier League restart is our senior writer, Dom Fifield. Hello to you, Dom. Um, just give us an insight into to what you've been up to, um, not entirely, uh, during the lockdown because you've been doing a lot of hard work but in in recent weeks sort of building up to this restart what's been on your agenda well there's there's been a lot of stuff about how football has has coped with covid-19 and and will continue to cope with with the threat of covid-19 and uh, in the weeks ahead but also thankfully some football chat um more conventional football chat uh, looking at chelsea in particular i think chelsea are quite intriguing in that that race for the top four and that they've arguably got the most to lose in that they've been in the top four for so long. This feels like an eternity. Um, and, and, and yet they, they were just getting back into some kind of form when the lockdown was imposed. So it'll be intriguing to see how they're running pans out. They've got a very, very tricky set of fixtures. Uh, this is Frank Lampard's first Premier League run in, so to speak. Uh, as a manager so I'm quite looking forward to seeing how they cope and obviously that we've seen them go out and splash the cash in during the lockdown when everybody else is talking about financial uh, tightening of uh, you know of, of, of spending Chelsea have just gone out and, and done what they, they, they did in back in 2003 almost under Roman Abramovich and, and spent a, a huge amount of money so there's a bit of pressure there on Lampard to deliver Champions League football so I'm intrigued by that. 
We will touch upon uh, a couple of the points that have been raised so far as we go through this this preview podcast. And don't forget, you can, of course, subscribe to The Athletic to read uh, all of the articles from our elite writers that we are joined by today. Of course, uh, Michael and Dom and Jack and a whole array of others, uh, plenty of dedicated uh, reporters as well covering specific teams, um, as well as listening to our podcasts as well, ad-free. Uh, go to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman to sign up Uh, for a limited time only we are also offering 40% off on our subscriptions so uh, just to uh, celebrate the return of the Premier League there is a little bit extra for you and it works out at just less than £3 a month Okay, right we're going to uh, kick on now and there is um, probably one of the most bizarre poems that you will ever see on The Athletic this morning uh, that you can actually uh, read through and it basically just says welcome back football and it is from everyone at The Athletic and it basically centres on what people have been looking forward to most with the return of Premier League football. I just wanted to start with with our cast here. Uh, What are you most excited about uh, when football returns? Just, Just pick one thing if you can. Michael, let's start with you. I'm looking forward to watching some of the good relegation dogfight matches because, you know, when I've been a, a reporter over the years, some of the most memorable games I've I've been to have been where it's two sides going against each other, trying to play for survival. Um, and often these games aren't on TV. They're kind of Saturday 3 p.m. games. I remember a game between Norwich and Newcastle must have been four years ago that was 3-2 to Norwich, a last-minute winner. It was absolutely brilliant. And this game probably got eight minutes on match of the day. And I just think meaning is really important in football matches. You need games that mean something for it to be an interesting spectacle. And there's some really, I think, quite attractive sides near the bottom of the table. And I think that, you know, when people watch these games, they'll see that actually, you know, games like that can be a lot more entertaining than watching... City put four or five goals past one of the uh, bottom half sides. Dom, what about you? I'm looking forward to the little touches. And one of them was mentioned in, in the poem, N'Golo Conte smiling <laughs> again. Um, I'm also looking forward to seeing Ruben Loftus-Cheek playing football after 13 months out injured. I think that's that's going to be huge. Uh, I'm looking forward to to watching Wilfred Zaha skipping up the, the wing again. Um, and, I, and I share Michael's... Uh, anticipation at the relegation dogfight because it's something that I've always as as a supporter I've always been drawn towards it because my team's invariably been in it um and this year I'm just looking forward to watching it all play out because I think they're going to be some some proper scraps down there Jack how about you what are you looking forward to, to having back in your life I'm looking forward to watching something on tv that isn't keeping up with the Kardashians <laughs> uh Jack. Honestly, I watched about. <laughs> I feel like I watched about four episodes a day. Don't tell Alex. Have um, you heard of Netflix, Jack? You want to get involved with that? Yeah, it's got. There's it's loads of stuff it on Netflix. Netflix, unfortunately, Netflix actually does have the first, I think, three seasons of Keeping Up with the Kardashians on that. Uh, if, if the right, if the right episodes you want to watch aren't on E, it's probably the best way to watch them. I mean, <laughs> what I'm actually oh, looking yeah. forward to is having some. Yeah, having some actual football on TV and back in my life, like it's this. I don't want to sound like a self-pitying football journalist here, but nevertheless, like it's this 15, 14 week break has been much longer than much longer than the break you would normally get between the end of one season and the start of another. And you know, I think at the Athletic we've done some really fantastic stuff on everything that's happening to the football industry. 
and that is obviously hugely important but certainly speaking for myself and i imagine some of our teammates like i just love writing about i love watching football i love writing about football i love all the really obvious stuff like the stuff that you first draws you to football when you're six like your favorite players uh scoring exciting goals and stupid stuff happening particularly given that what we've missed has been the best bit of the season like everyone knows that march april and may is the best bit of the football season and we haven't had it and all, all of those games in the big competitions, I know it's going to be very different, but I do feel like I, I currently have that like uh, excitement that you have going into a major tournament. It feels a little bit like going into a major tournament where there's going to be football on all the way through June and July. And I'm tr- just really, really unironically excited. Let's talk about the uh, the relegation battle um, because um, my beloved team, Watford, is obviously involved in uh, the scrap alongside uh, Brighton, West Ham, Bournemouth, uh, Aston Villa and Norwich. And Michael, you mentioned a little bit earlier on in terms of having a little bit of a soft spot for, for some of the teams um, fighting in the, the relegation battle, not necessarily just for the spectacle, but due to the fact that they are quite good teams down at the bottom of the table. And earlier on in the season, you described Norwich as probably the best team to have ever been bottom of the Premier League. Do you feel that they are just going to treat this as, you know, just a, a, um, a free hit almost? No one's expecting them to get out of it. And that could prove to be um, an advantage in this in this battle for them. Yeah, maybe. That's that's probably how they've played throughout the season. I mean, I, I find it incredible, really, that Norwich are bottom just because I've enjoyed watching so many of their players. Obviously, Pookie banging the goals. Buendia and Cantwell have both had really good seasons. Uh, the two fullbacks bombing on the overlap, uh, Aarons and Lewis, are excellent. I think, really, their league position shows that you can't get away with having good attackers, good fullbacks, and a bit of a soft centre. And I think that's why they'll go down. They They don't quite... Uh, look solid enough in central positions. Um, and so I don't really forecast them staying up. I mean, they're six points off the, the cutoff zone at the moment. Um, so you would expect them to go down. But yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a really bad side in the league this year. I mean, Villa, I, again, I think that they've got some some weaknesses in defence. But you look at Grealish and McGinn, who is, is going to be back having, you know, previously thought he wouldn't play a part in this season. Almost every team, in fact, every team, I would say, has got at least two good technical creative players that you can enjoy watching. So, yeah, in years gone by, the relegation battles, are, battles I almost didn't really mind who went down because I wouldn't be that sorry to see the back of some teams. But whoever goes down this year, I'll be quite disappointed because I think it's been a Premier League that's had lots of strength and depth, some quite exciting games. I mean, Norwich beating Man City stands out as, as one of those great moments. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the everything about the relegation battle, really. One team that I do feel slightly sorry for is Brighton uh, because of their run-in. And maybe, Jack, I can ask you about the, their chances because when you look at what they have to face, it is... Well, it's so unfair almost that it's been so heavily stacked um, against them with Arsenal, Leicester, Manchester United, Liverpool and Manchester City all within their first six games. They're they're really in danger of having to play catch up in those final three games. I mean, they might even be cut adrift by then. It's going to be tough for them, isn't it? Yeah, it is really tough for them, especially given that they're not going to be able to play with fans. That sounds like an obvious point, but the evidence we've seen so far from Germany is that behind closed doors, the best players pretty much always win. Like, I think Bayern mm. have won every game and Dortmund have won every game except for when they played Bayern. And there's no reason to expect the same 
pattern wouldn't be the case in the Premier League. Like, you know, if you don't have a vocal crowd behind you, it's very difficult for a less good team to overturn a better one. Uh, so that being the case, yeah, I am pretty pessimistic for Brighton. I mean, look, they, they weren't in good form before. I think they'd won one game without their last 15 in the Premier League, and that was Bournemouth at home, which is you know, as close to a gimme as you might get. But I would be really, really surprised if they get out of it from here. Dom, what I mean, you've, you've spoken about you know being in the in the midst of relegation battles in the past, uh, you know, having that loyalty to, to Crystal Palace. Looking down um, from your lofty perch, what are your sort of your your predictions at the moment? What's your sort of gut feeling on who looks down already? Back when I was being pessimistic in, in February before Palace won those three games in succession, I, I I did what every supporter probably does and and listed all the results, all the um, fixtures for the prospective teams down the bottom, which at that point was, was ten of them, um, and and worked sort of predicted the results um, over the rest of the season. And the way it worked out at the time was was Norwich well cut adrift. Uh, then I'm afraid it was Watford uh, and and Aston Villa. Um, it was very tight between Watford and Bournemouth. Um, but I just looked at the way the way that the teams were performing at the time. Now, look, I, I I wonder whether that type of prediction thing probably goes out the window. Actually, I know Jack's saying that the best teams will will win their games, and yeah, and I I completely agree that I think that the teams that, that retain possession better um, will will prevail in a lot of these matches, particularly when the ball's in play for a lot longer than it would normally be. Uh, and exhaustion will, will definitely will play a part, it's particularly in the heat if, it, if it's hot as well. Uh, the teams that are chasing the ball will, will just not cope. They've, they've had a, although they had a long period off, they've had a stunted pre-season, if you like, three and a half weeks of, in, of relatively intense work as opposed to six. Um, and, I, and I suspect that, that that will play a big part in it all. So it, it's really going to boil down to the, the matches that they win in contents, contests against each other and against teams in mid-table. And I, I just think that Bournemouth have probably got a few more and West Ham has certainly got a few more games against that type of opposition. Brighton, likewise, they got these, they've got these dreadful games against against the elite, although... They always beat Manchester United at home, incidentally. Um, I just think they, even a two-point cushion at this point in the season is actually quite a lot. Um, it's, it's actually a useful little buffer. Um, and when they do get to to play against the likes of, he says, scrolling through the fixtures desperately, when they do get to, to play the, the likes of, of, of Norwich, of Southampton, of Newcastle, Burnley... Uh, they can pick up points in those matches, um, and and those will be they, they will be key for them. And I think they probably will have just about enough to scrape through. Obviously, we're we're concentrating on the bottom six, but if we are into this new normal and strange things can happen, I wanted to ask you about a team that potentially might drop in and get into a, a bit of a fluster. And I'm gonna I'm gonna propose two teams that may or may not do this and and two of them Newcastle and Southampton and I've looked at Newcastle's um, run in obviously they've got the the FA Cup uh, to come and they're playing against Manchester City but they have this sort of topsy-turvy run of fixtures where whereby they play um, excellent teams teams up in the upper echelon of the of the table and then sides in the relegation battle and I'm just wondering if anyone wants to sort of uh, stick their their neck out and say that maybe 
their off-field distractions as well may well uh, play a part in them being sucked in? Or do, or do you see all those teams above Brighton, so Southampton, Newcastle, Everton, Crystal Palace, obviously, um, completely out of it? Do you think it's too much of a gap? Michael? Um I would be very surprised if they got sucked in, to be honest, especially Southampton, who I think have broadly been good since Christmas. Yeah. Newcastle, I, I don't think are a very good side. I mean, I think they've got very lucky throughout this season. Their over-reliance on defenders for goals um, basically is, is unsustainable, I think. But, I mean, they've got 35 points. I mean, I think certainly two wins would keep them up. Probably one win would keep them up. Um, and I would fancy them to get that in what the remaining nine games so yeah I, I think it's three from six 15th and, and downwards are, are the ones battling there for me hello i'm james richardson host of the totally football show now part of the athletics podcast network we're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion and if you're an athletic subscriber you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Let's concentrate now on the the race for the uh, top four um, or the top five obviously, with, with Manchester City's current situation. Um, Leicester, Chelsea, Manchester United, Wolves, Sheffield United, Tottenham and Arsenal all in the mix. Um, let's start off with with Leicester. Do, you, do we feel that um, the way that Brendan Rodgers has, has run uh, that ship all season, that they are just going to sort of continue on now? There's not going to be any um, problems with this, this restart and they'll be able to kick on with... Uh, positivity into the Champions League? Yeah, I think Leicester will probably be fine, won't they? Like, they have a five-point gap on Chelsea and an eight-point gap on Manchester United. I know they don't have... I mean, on the one hand, you could say it's a young team without much experience. On the other hand, they still have plenty of players left who won the Premier League four years ago. Um, so I'd be really surprised if they blew up so badly that they fell out of the Champions League spots. You know, they seem to have... They've obviously got a good manager and a good way of playing. And I think the point that Dom made about possession earlier on, I'm sure, will be relevant. And of course, you know, when you've got T. Elements and Madison in midfield, and along with Ndidi, that actually gives them a very good share of the ball whenever they're playing. So I would feel, I would feel pretty relaxed if I was a Leicester fan about the run-in. In terms of um, Wolves in sixth and Sheffield United in seventh, out of those two, Dom, who do you see as being sort of best equipped to to stick? in those positions and especially considering Wolves will have a Europa League uh, campaign to, to look forward to or at least have in the back of their mind. I don't think the Europa League campaign will be a distraction for Wolves. Uh, I think that they, uh, what they've achieved this season, given the number of fixtures they've they've had um, and they, they didn't go and buy hundreds of new players last summer to sort of bolster their squad beyond all recognition. I, I think it's pretty remarkable the, the level of consistency. To have lost only six Premier League games so far, I think. I think that that that, that says an awful lot for for uh, the whole club, really, the management staff, you know, Espirito Santo, and the, the way that they've. The way that they've adapted to life in the Premier League, they, they feel already like a, a, a team that's going to be in and around those European places for some years to come. Uh, and 
probably that the break in some ways came at, at the right time for them. If, if, there, if there were weary legs creeping into their campaign prior to lockdown, then they've had, they are well refreshed again now and they can attack these last nine fixtures with, you know, vim and vigor and, and, and give it a proper go. I just, I just think that they're, Fantastic! What they've everything they've achieved, and Jimenez and Yotta up front in particular. Uh, you throw in Traore's, you know, pace and power on the on on the wing. They've just got so many weapons that can can hurt opponents, and it'll be interesting to see how they, you know, whether they can still exploit the, the counter attacks, etc., over what remains of this season. But I, I I think that they're just a club that's progressive in every way. That's not to say that I don't admire what Sheffield United have done either, because to to have a this first season back in the Premier League is quite astounding and for them to even be in contention for them even not to be in the bottom three at the moment is is remarkable and for them to be in contention for Europe is is testament to to what Chris Wilde has done there so just just a magnificent season for them whatever happens in the next nine fixtures ten fixtures for them I'll come on to to Chelsea and Manchester United obviously in in fourth and fifth because they're going to be in a in a real battle to to finish in that fourth position but I wanted to sort of come to a couple of outsiders really and and it's it's strange to to have them in that bracket in in their North London rivals Tottenham and Arsenal um Jack from your point of view from a from a Tottenham angle do you think that the the time that Jose Mourinho will have had uh, during this this lockdown, I know it's been very difficult and everything's been done by, via Zoom and, and things like that. Do you think that he might have been able to um, learn more about his players and connect more with his players and maybe they might be able to make a, a genuine dart for some kind of European football? Well, yeah, that's certainly how Mourinho feels. You know, obviously, Mourinho came in in late November. He's never had a pre-season with these players. Um, he really he he certainly feels that loss, and therefore this time has given him a little bit more opportunity to try and hammer some of his messages through to his team. I think he's been very very engaged with trying to keep in touch with his players and try and encourage them and tell them that they can win and and all the rest of it. I guess the bigger questions will be things like how match fit is uh, Kane and Sissoko who haven't played since New Year's Day. How much fit is Son, who broke his arm in February and then went off to national service in South Korea during coronavirus break? So there's like there are big question marks over the fitness of those players, but I think that they will have had much more coaching in them than they otherwise would have done. And I do think that the, the fact that Spurs have got to play lots of the teams around them could work in their favour because they can help to claw back some of that big gap. In terms of Arsenal, Michael, I mean, it's, I suppose it's the same thing really with Mikel Arteta um, being able to use this period to learn even more. I mean, he's he's very diligent and he probably came in knowing everything about that Arsenal side when he first took over. But I suppose this extra time can only help, I suppose. And do you expect them to sort of go from strength to strength rather than, well, stagnating in the position that they're in at the moment in ninth? Yeah, I think of all the teams, I think Arsenal will benefit from this break. I mean, Arteta's, uh, he's a training ground coach. You know, he's, he's someone who wants to work with his players. He wants to work on, on passing patterns. He wants to improve the, the counter pressing when they lose possession. There's all those little details that he wouldn't have expected to have worked on, you know, until a traditional preseason in the summer. And if you remember, I mean, he took over in, I think the 22nd of December or something like that, where Arsenal had, four games in 11 days, I think. So there was no time for him to completely overhaul the side. And I think he actually did a really good job to to improve them with that relatively minimal t- uh, time on the training ground. I mean, you look at the table, Arsenal have lost 
six games this season. The only side to have lost few is, is obviously Liverpool. Um, so Arsenal actually have a... I think they've got the basis there for a good side. They, they basically just need to turn those 13 draws um, from 28 games, which is incredible, need to turn those draws into, into victories. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see how Arsenal will do. And especially because they are... Uh, you know, restarting with uh, a match against City, obviously Arteta's old club. So that Arteta versus Guardiola battle should be really interesting. And Dom, let's finish on the on the race for the top four with the, the two sides in the box seat, as I mentioned. Obviously, Chelsea in fourth uh, on 48 points, three points ahead of Manchester United. But it seems as if, you know, both sides, uh, the mood music around them uh, is is very positive at the moment. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a great fight for that fourth place, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. I think, I think, uh, particularly at Chelsea, when you see them spending the money they have over the last month or two, uh, that's, that, that does bode well for, for that team's future. There's a, there's clearly a, a vision and a philosophy there. They, they know what they're going, where they're going and they, they probably need to be in the, in the, in the Champions League next season. I mean, so there is an added pressure, as we mentioned earlier. Um, and their running is actually quite tricky. I mean, it's not, when you look at it, they've probably got, Three fixtures you could argue against teams that probably won't have very much to play for. Then being Crystal Palace away and then Norwich at home and Norwich may be down by them three games before the end of the season. And bizarrely, Liverpool away, the penultimate match when Liverpool will, you know, have long since been crowned champions, but they could be going for record points tallies, et cetera, et cetera. And they certainly won't want to give Chelsea any kind of momentum. So, so Chelsea really do have to pay attention to, to United on their shoulder and, and, and United were running into form, um, just prior to, to lockdown. They'll have Marcus Rashford back, uh, in, in the setup. Paul Pogba might even be back, heaven forbid. Um, It'll be, you know, that they are they are a proper threat uh, to to Chelsea now, and you know Chelsea cannot afford many slip ups. And the very fact that they have so many games against teams with with stuff to play for, starting at Villa Park on Sunday, you know, will make life difficult. Okay, so we've dealt with the the race for the top four, the the relegation battle. Um, Dom actually mentioned them there, of course, Liverpool. Uh, they are that the champions elect. They restart with a Merseyside derby against Everton. Um, Michael, for those of us who, who may have forgotten over the last 14 weeks how good Liverpool have been this season, just to explain why they have been so far ahead of the rest of the pack, bar obviously Watford, who they lost to uh, in their penultimate <laughs> game before lockdown. <laughs> just just give us the, the overall picture rather than concentrating on that on that black mark. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, they'll put that to one side for the bus road, I think, when they that, that game. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just a great all-round side. I think when Klopp came, there was a certain emphasis upon, you know, pressing really aggressively and counter-attacking really quickly. And they still do those things at times, but I just think that they're from front to back. They're just a really, really solid side. They're good in defence. I think they have learned to break down deep defences, which previously was their issue. They were, you know, always losing to... Burnley and Crystal Palace and sides like that, but but that hasn't been an issue this season, obviously, because they've won 27 or 29 games. And the thing I like about them is, I'd say with the exception of, of Alisson, the goalkeeper, they probably haven't gone out and bought an established world-class player from a really top side that you knew was going to be a title winner. Okay, Van Dijk was a lot of money, but he was playing for, you know, mid-table Southampton side. They've picked up some really, really good bargains Wijnaldum came from a relegated side. Robertson came from a relegated side. Shakiri obviously is not always in the eleven, but he came from a relegated side. They've just built their team really, really intelligently over a period of five or six years. Um, 
And, you know, as someone who uh, has never seen Liverpool win the league because it's been a while, I've, I've just really enjoyed watching them. They've been, um, there's been a few games this season where I've, I've sat down to watch and I've, I've almost thought, well, why am I watching this? There's no tension here. Liverpool are going to win. They're going to win the league. And the reason I'm watching is I just really enjoy watching the players. I think they're a likeable side, uh, a really good manager. And um, yeah, it's, it's obviously been a long time coming both in terms of the the gap between their 18th and 19th league titles and because they've had to wait three months longer than they expected. But yeah, I, I've really enjoyed watching them and I think they have to go down as one of the most dominant sides we've seen in, in English football history, really. Jack, what impresses you most about that, that Liverpool side, the players or, or the manager? It's hard to choose, isn't it? For me, it's all about... Like the absolute hunger to win the league this year after getting 97 points last year. Like 97 points is a ludicrous achievement. It's I think it's what the third highest points total ever recorded in Premier League history. And yet this this year, we don't know what they're going to get, but I think Tom Warville's projections thought they'd get 101. And in terms of like the mentality that that requires to get those to be that consistent over the course of two consecutive seasons is just unbelievable like we've literally we have literally never with the exception of city sorry over 2017 18 and 18 19 we've never seen anything like it before and given all the pressure that there is at that club to win the title i think it is just an absolute triumph of coaching coaching and application from Klopp and the whole players like they are brilliant and and jack why do you think city have been left behind let's concentrate on them for a moment so I th- well, there's a few things. One is the failure to replace Vincent Company in the summer left them very, very dependent on Imeric Laporte, who's a great player, but you know they would always be in trouble if he got injured. Then he did get injured. So that's reason number one. I think reason number two is just the general sort of tiredness you would get in fourth in the fourth season of Pep Guardiola, like Barcelona in Pep Guardiola's fourth year there struggled. They didn't win the title. They went out of the Champions League to Chelsea, and. He never did a fourth season at Bayern and he's just such a demanding coach and he's so he's so intense with his players all the time that I just it, it, naturally that has a shelf life and the players are going to get a bit bored. And I think sometimes you watch City this year and they just don't have the same intensity as they did in the past. They don't have this they don't press as well, they're not as organized, they're not as intense. And I think that has probably, in fact, now I think about it, been a bigger factor even than the company absence. And Dom, just a, a final point to you on on sort of the, the the Liverpool situation because obviously they are going to be crowned champions. Um, they're obviously looking to continue a period of dominance uh, domestically and in European football as well. Who do you think of the also rans this season are going to be the best place to genuinely challenge them next season? I'm still reeling from the fact that I might be the only one here who's actually experienced Liverpool winning the league. Is that is that the case? Adam, help <laughs> no, me no, out, I have, please. Yes, no, I have. Yes, I have. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm intrigued to know, on the basis of what Jack's just said, I'm intrigued to find out how City uh, reinvigorate themselves for next season um, and whether they are stung by what's happened to them this time round, uh, whether Pep Guardiola can can coax out some of the performances that, that we've become so used to prior to this term um you'd, you'd suspect that city would still be a threat to to liverpool and and they are so clearly the the next next best team chelsea well we'll have to see how the new signings settle in but but if there if there are more to come if they buy a left back if they if they buy kai havertz as well and they have this sumptuous forward line then that you know that that's arguably one that might rival liverpool's forward line or even city's so they they would they would have taken a big step towards mounting a challenge again. Um, I, 
I'm not sure they'd be ready to to sustain that over the course of an entire season and actually overhaul Liverpool quite yet. Um, if they didn't qualify for the Champions League and they didn't have European distractions, then maybe, and they could do what Antonio Conte's side did a few seasons back. But uh, but yeah, I think those are, the, those are the, the likeliest challenges. I still think that Man United are still some way short, to be honest. I think they need a good summer in the market or good month or three weeks or two weeks or whatever we're going to get as a transfer window. And there, there are still imbalances to, to their side and squad. But uh, the others, the others, yeah, Chelsea and City will, will challenge Liverpool next year. Dom, Michael, Jack, thank you very much for your time. I can tell that everyone is ready for football to restart. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, and thank you, listeners, for listening to the Athletics Premier League preview show. We've uh, also, uh, remember, published a club-by-club podcast series on the Ornstein and Chapman feed over the past 10 days. So you can go back and uh, find an in-depth episode focusing solely on your team. And don't forget that you can get 40% off a subscription to The Athletic right now to enjoy our great football writing just as the Premier League resumes. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman. I hope you enjoy the uh, restart of the season and I wish you well whatever team you support just as long as they're not competing with Watford. All the best. (laughs) 